This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. Let me pray for this morning's message. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we just want to invite you. Lord, we know your promises from your word. You have promised to to take your scriptures and they won't return void. So Lord, that's our hope this morning, that they will accomplish the work that you've set them to do. And so God, would you illumine our minds, turn the light switches on that we need on this morning so we can understand your word, how it applies to our life, and that we would walk out of here, not just with a fresh perspective of your word, but a fresh desire and understanding about how we can apply that. And so Lord, we entrust ourselves to you and we invite you in here and pray that in your name, amen. Well, you wanna know what really frustrates me? It's always a great question to ask following prayer. Something that really gets under my skin is when we are doing something, especially something that's costly, uh, something that's time consuming, and we don't know why. We don't know what the point of uh, the objective is for whatever the situation may be. Maybe you can relate to this. It's like when you're filling out paperwork, right? And there's one question that applies to you and 25 others that you're pretty sure don't apply at all to you. And you're wondering, why am I filling this out, right? Or it's for me, like when I get sent to the grocery store on a shopping trip with detailed instructions as to what I should be doing and how I need to pick that loaf of wheat bread and not that loaf of wheat bread, even though that loaf of wheat bread is 50 cents cheaper. I have no idea why I need to choose this loaf of wheat bread, but if I get it wrong, I'll find out. (laughs) We may not know why it matters, but oh, it matters. It's that feeling you get when you're having a conversation with someone and you're pretty sure they're trying to sell you something, but you're not entirely sure they're trying to sell you something. Frustration because you're not entirely sure what the point really is. And all the while, it's costing you time, energy, money, and more. There's a great scene that captures this idea perfectly in that 1984 classic Christian film, The Karate Kid. And um, the story of Daniel LaRusso, a young man who desperately wants to and needs to learn the art of karate. And he's made a a relationship with a a man named Mr. Miyagi, and and he gets Mr. Miyagi to teach him, to promise to teach him, I should say, karate, upon which Mr. Miyagi promptly has him him, uh, him, uh, scrubbing cars, right? It's the wax on wax off maneuver. And then what? He paints a fence and then he paints a house and so on and so forth, right? Doing all kinds of chores that Mr. Miyagi is very passionate about, but Daniel sees no point in until Daniel finally, Daniel's son, finally what? Quits, right? He's frustrated. He's mad. He doesn't know what the point is. And so he's lost his motivation. You know, in big ways, small ways, we can all relate to Daniel. 
our frustration can eventually make us want to grab somebody by the shoulders, shake them a little bit and say, what's the point, right? Just get to the bottom line. A few weeks back, I was having a conversation with someone in my office about their initial struggles in coming to faith in Christ. And I had their permission to share this, by the way. And as I was listening to them share, I left the conversation wondering to myself whether or not someone who shows up here on a Sunday morning or maybe participates in a group around here where they're learning about the Christian life, whether or not after a while, if they don't start to wonder the very same question of what's the point. I think we can end up feeling like Daniel at times, frustrated, wondering beyond the simple task, beyond the basic issue at hand, what's the point? I mean, this whole enterprise that we're engaging right here, this is costly. This is time-consuming. If we're actually living any parts of of it out, it, it can be painful. It can feel restrictive. So what's the point? What's the point? To which all kinds of answers can be inserted. Is the point of, of church and sermons to make us like an old friend of mine just described to me, good moral people? Is it uh, the point of Sunday morning to brainwash? Is it about money? Is it a chance to, as the atheists like to sh- say, shout down our doubts? Is it about getting saved? Is it about learning the Bible? Is it about being with like-minded friends? What's really the point? that question goes unanswered for very long, doesn't that frustration start to build? Maybe you eventually even lose your motivation because you never really, quote unquote, got it. Or maybe frustration turns to anger because you tried church and it didn't work for you. Or maybe you eventually lost your motivation because the real motivation was just because of your spouse or your mom or your dad or your friends. Maybe you hung around because you kind of got it, but you didn't really entirely get it, but you think church is kind of good for you and the coffee's good and it's free childcare. And so, you know, you're here, but you're a little bit bored. Or maybe you think you have got it, but you just can't articulate it. Maybe you can. In particular though, I think that if you're someone who only recently started a relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe in the last year or so, I think that this question is particularly important to you, isn't it? So this morning, I want to answer three questions, starting with what's the point of Sunday morning church, of what we're doing as pastors or anyone who's proclaiming the gospel. To do that, I want to invite you to turn with me, our Father's word, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now, Colossians is found right in between Philippians and 1 Thessalonians. It's a little letter written by the Apostle Paul. And the point of the letter was to share with the Colossae church about who Jesus Christ really was, to give them a very clear view of who Jesus is and what that would mean for their life. He does this in a proactive approach. And and he shares in here some practical and, and passionate points And what he shares in particular for our time this morning is why he and his co-workers are doing what they're doing for the church. And if you think about the layers of of answers to a question like, what's the point of your work? You can approach that answer in more ways than one. 
But the answer Paul is giving here is very specific. And so this is one of those incredibly helpful and clear and practical answers. It's not very esoteric or ethereal, but it's concrete. So take a look with me. Verse 24 of Colossians chapter 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let me pause here and clarify something. Paul, in the beginning of this passage, in verse 24, when he's talking about filling up Christ's afflictions or Christ's sufferings, he is not using it as a euphemism for Jesus Christ's atoning work at the cross. He's not talking about adding to Jesus' atonement. He's made it perfectly clear in lots of places that Jesus' atonement, it was sufficient. What he's referring to here instead, is a practical idea that Jesus' sufferings advanced the gospel and that Jesus has now charged his church, of which Paul is a a part of, a minister, and, and, and as Christ is united to the body, he's charged the body with advancing the gospel message. That is the, the word of God, hidden as a mystery, right, as Paul describes it here in the Old Testament, but now revealed through Jesus. That gospel is what he's making quote-unquote, fully known, right? He's sharing it openly. And he's doing that work, and doing it, it's resulted in tremendous suffering. Paul's likely imprisoned in Rome at the time of the writing of this letter. So the idea here is sharing the gospel message. And with that teed up, he then moves to his method and our answer. Verse 28 says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Friends, Paul's suffering had a purpose. He proclaimed the message of Jesus with a hope. And so do we. We proclaim the gospel with a point. And it's more than just salvation from sin and death and hell. We're called to passionately and wisely, with sacrifice and struggle, proclaim the gospel in ways that warn and teach people with a specific aim in mind. And that aim is maturity. Our passionate purpose is seeing everyone mature in Christ. Our passionate purpose is seeing everyone mature in Christ. That's why. That's the point of all this. Why all these sermons on understanding the mystery of the gospel and and warning about sin and calling us to repent and avoiding our idols and dealing with our idols and helping us understand how to be saved and how the gospel changes the way we live and what we do in every aspect of life and how it calls us to take a next step. Maturity. It's not just so people will have a profession of faith, but it's so that they will mature in faith. 
It's not just about new life in Christ, but abundant life with Christ. So my dearest desire, as someone who's been charged with proclaiming the gospel, is for you to grow up in your faith. It's for you to mature. That's our passionate purpose as laborers in the gospel, isn't it? Parents, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, isn't that your greatest passion with your children? Do you have any other greater joy than to know that your children are walking with the Lord? Elders, deacons, life group leaders, Sunday school teachers, everyone who shares in the work of proclaiming the gospel, isn't that your hope? Isn't it? That we may present every man and woman, boy and girl, mature in Christ. You know that's your passion if you're willing to pay the price. Because although it's may not be physical suffering like Paul's, it will involve sacrifice. But sacrifice that we believe in is well worth it. And part of the, the great news that Paul offers us here in this text is that it's for everyone. It's for everyone. That little bit in there about, about the Gentiles, right? The non-Jewish people. That's why Paul mentions it, and it's why he mentions everyone in three, three times between verses 28 and 29. It's because maturity in Christ is not something that is meant for just a select few. No, maturity in Christ is meant for everyone, not an elite group of Christians, you know, the really deep ones. No. That idea is foreign to the gospel, which is why Paul makes such a big deal of it. It's for everyone, including you. Now, I want to make sure that we're clear on what it means to be mature in Christ. I think we can wrongly assume at times that maturity is an impossibility because we equate it with sinless perfection. Some of your translations, it may even translate the word here, teleos, as the word perfect, right? As perfection. But sinless perfection is not the kind of perfection that's in view here. It's not perfection as in flawless, but as in fitting, as in something is, is, is being a perfect fit. It's the idea that it's fulfilling its purpose. That's the idea here. Of us as followers of Jesus, reaching the point where we are actually living out Jesus' intentions for his followers. We were meant to become mature. You may not know this, um, but I have three older brothers, and I'm the, by far the runt of the family, okay? And uh, they all went in very different directions. The one that was close enough uh, in age to me, my brother David, from a young age, it was his direction to serve in the U.S. military, the U.S. Army. And let me tell you, he signed the bottom line as early as he could. But growing up as David's brother, it always seemed a little bit like an oddity to me, uh, just being honest here, because uh, I could whoop David three out of four wrestling matches, all right? And, uh, you know, David, before boot camp, couldn't run very fast. He hadn't handled very many guns. You know, he couldn't do very many push-ups. Uh, David read books. I played sports, all right? It was, it was that simple. But let me tell you, when we picked up David from boot camp, I quickly learned that I was not going to be winning any more wrestling matches. <laughs> and literally, he ran everywhere. 
He thought walking was a waste of time. <laughs> he taught me how to shoot a gun. <laughs> he looked like, he acted like, he sounded like, he thought like a soldier. He was maturing as a soldier and thus received opportunities to fulfill that purpose in Iraq and Afghanistan. He wasn't flawless, but mature. Friends, as followers of Jesus, maturity is not an impossibility. And the point of this exercise is for you and I to start looking like and acting like and sounding like and thinking like Jesus so that you will fulfill the purpose you were intended for. Theologically stated, Christian maturity, Christian maturity is when Christ is the supreme authority in my life. When Christ is the supreme authority in my life. Now, practically stated, it's when you start to look like him. It's when you start to act like him. It's when you start to think like him to the point where it is noticeable to others. And that definition it applies whether you are 18 or 88, all right? And that definition is clear. It's, it, it just looks different along the way. So friends, our passionate purpose is in seeing everyone mature. That's the point. And knowing that should motivate us. It should spur us on in our faith. But how does that happen? How do we become mature? That's the second question I want us to take a look at this morning. How does that happen? Back at verse 27 with me, if you would. To them, followers of Christ, okay, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, right, everyone, not just the Jews, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, right, the gospel. Him we proclaim. The good news about who Jesus is and what he's done. Warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now remember the context of the answer that Paul's giving here. Paul is talking about what God is enabling him to do. There is a divine element and a human element to how we mature as Christians. But the answer here is focused primarily on our part. It's focused on us. Paul says that he's warning, right? Don't do things this way. He's teaching. Do things this way instead. Based on what? The gospel. The gospel the gospel message. He's working and suffering to show how this message applies to every arena of life. So how do you become mature? How do you become mature? By responding to the teachings and warnings of Jesus's message with surrender. It's cooperation. It's cooperation. It's in surrendering to see the gospel worked into and out of every aspect of life that we mature. Very simply put, as a follower of Jesus, as you surrender, you mature. As you surrender, you mature. Now, let me take the vague and ambiguity uh, out of a term like surrender. We need to remove that from this equation for us to get it. Because surrender as a follower of Jesus, it's not the idea of just giving up. That's not the idea here. It's different. Surrender is about the phrase instead of, instead of. 
It's heading in this direction, talking like this, doing things this way, instead of this direction, talking like this, doing things that way. That's surrender. It's not just letting go of my way, it's submitting to another's way. But truth be told, many of us are so unfamiliar with the teachings and warnings of Jesus that it's no wonder that we're struggling to mature. Some of the classic studies on a church like ours would indicate that only about one-third of us engage with the scriptures daily. Another one-third, probably weekly. And I'm not sure if that includes Sunday morning or not. (laughs) And the train, let me tell you, it just goes downhill from there. But if Jesus is the authority figure in our lives and we want to submit to him, don't we have to be familiar with what he's calling us to do and not to do? Friends, that means effort. If you have a copy and you can read the Bible, let me tell you, reading the Bible every day is not the finish line, it's the starting blocks. When we read the scriptures, we are on the starting blocks. Reading something like the Sermon on the Mount, that's a great starting block. But let me tell you, you only make progress as you put it into action. That's where we begin to mature. As you surrender to Jesus' ways, you mature. Again, that's our part in the maturing process. Now, that's not rocket surgery, as a former president once said, but it is difficult. It reminds me of uh, tackling drills back when I was playing football. You know about tackling drills? You get about 10, 15 yards, and uh, they line up the, the running back, give him the ball. The guy usually hits like a hammer. And they give him a running start, you know, and he gets to pick his lanes. And it's your job to hit him with your head up and wrap up and drive your feet to make the tackle. It sounds simple. Hard to accomplish, okay? Hard to accomplish. And let me tell you, after taking a couple hits from that hammer, you start to get a little reluctant to get back out there and, you know, do the drill again and sometimes. And sometimes it doesn't just hurt. Sometimes it's downright embarrassing. But you've got to surrender if you're going to head back out there and get better. That's the point of the drill. And a good coach, he knows that one player's inability to tackle affects the rest of the team. One player's inability will hurt the whole team, but one player's maturity will benefit the whole team. So surrendering to gain back in the drill, surrendering to learn how to to do it the coach's way is how maturing happens. The same is true for us as followers of Christ. It will take surrender in hard areas like our personal life, our relational life, our business life, our financial life. And let me tell you, it might hurt and it might be embarrassing, but it's how we mature. Paul knew that. And we need to learn that as well. Last question. What's the benefit here? What's the benefit of all this? Why does it matter? In the verses that follow this passage, the first benefit that Paul points out for someone who matures is a benefit that is as much for them as it is for everyone else. It's as much of a benefit for them as it is for others. Imagine that. A mature Christian helps others 
to be united in a tight community, to grow in their understanding of the gospel, to help people avoid lies and to stand firm in their faith. So why does your maturity in Christ matter? For the sake of everyone else. For the sake of everyone else. That's the mindset of the mature. And it's to be your mindset too. Paul in Philippians chapter two, he said it this way. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, the mature follower of Jesus Christ recognizes that their maturity matters for the sake of everyone else, not just themselves. That's the mindset that they have, and it's just like Jesus's because they start to think like him. They start to look like him. They start to act like him. And it's reflected in all of those actions of how they spend their time, of what they say, of the sacrifice and the agony that they're willing to expend to see others mature as well. They are passionate and purposeful about seeing everyone mature in Christ. You know, having attended college at Moody Bible Institute, uh, I had the opportunity to become familiar with a little-known story that I think kind of captures this idea perfectly. See, in the 19th century, there was a, uh, a man named Edward Kimball who was living in Boston, Massachusetts, and he was a Sunday school teacher. And Edward Kimball took it as his responsibility to go and visit each of the students that had attended his class. And so one day he visited a man who worked as a clerk in a shoe store. And he invited the man to hear the gospel and he shared it with him. And the man believed and he prayed with him to receive Christ. And that man's name was D.L. Moody, the man whose school I went to. A man who went on to share the gospel with millions. And one of those millions was a man named Wilbur Chapman. Chapman began to share the gospel with people far and wide. And one of those was a famous baseball player named Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday put his faith in Christ, and he went on to later have a public ministry of sharing the gospel, where another man named Mordecai Ham accepted Christ as his savior. And it would be one evening down south in the Mason-Dixon line where Mordecai Ham was sharing the gospel. The crowd had a little lanky North Carolina farm boy who would turn and give his life to Christ. That man's name was Billy Graham. A man whose direct or indirect influence is why many of us are sitting in this room this morning. Friends, your maturity in Christ matters for everyone else, not just yourself. Because of one man's passionate purpose of seeing everyone mature in Christ, millions upon millions of lives were impacted because one man surrendered to what the gospel teaches and warns and took it seriously many heard. And friends, in your life, the result of being a mature Christian, the benefit will first and foremost be for everyone else. 
So what's the point of all this? Maturity. And I challenge you this morning to take your maturity seriously for the sake of everyone else around you because you never know and I never know what God might do when we surrender. Amen? You pray with me? Father, we want to surrender because, Lord, we want to mature. We want to be used by you for the sake of those around us, for our own benefit, for the abundant life that is available in you. God, we want to surrender. And so, Lord, we invite you this morning to do the work, to speak to our hearts, to show us where it is that we are being selfish, self-serving, where we have gone astray from what you would teach and what you would warn and what your gospel would call for. Lord, we want to put ourselves into your hands because we want to mature in you. We want to look like your son, Jesus, talk like your son, Jesus, think like your son, Jesus. So do the work, God. We invite you to do it. We want you to do it. And we surrender to the cost that it will cost each and every one of us. Lord, we pray all that in your name. Amen.